Bibles and open them to Revelation 21. As we go there, before I start, I'd like to say a couple more things about Pastor Daniel. Uh, we had a mission committee meeting Monday, and we talked about this quite a bit. And uh, we have had, if you've been looking in our newsletter where we have the financial statement every month, um, there's been a, a, a line item called uh, mission trip. And that is money that was uh, designated from our China trips that we, we used to take. And we stopped taking those. Well, 1,500 of that had been donated by Bayview Bible Church towards our next China trip, which we never took. Uh, and China's pretty much a closed door right now. So we contacted them and asked them, what did they want us to do? Did they want the money back? Did what they have something? They said, so long as you use it for missions, a missions project, uh, you can keep it and do whatever you want with it. So uh, the missions committee recommended to the elders that we, we take that 1500 out of that mission trip fund and send it to Pastor Daniel, and the elders agreed with that. And then the missions committee said, you know, if Bayview could do that, couldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> and the elders didn't argue with that. So, so I believe we have uh, $3,000 to send already. This is in addition to that. The total cost of this building is $50,000, or at least that's what he ex anticipates. So uh, it's, it's a good start. I know he's got other sources helping, but... Um. Revelation 21, verses 5 through 8. We're finally getting to the section of this where... Uh, I thought I was going to get on the first day. I thought I was going to get verses 1 through 8, and I did 1. <laughs> and then I did 2, three and four, or two, two through 4, and, and then this week we actually are finishing it up. But, but, you know, this is a passage that just feels out of place where it is, right? Starting at verse 1, I, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they himself will be his people, and he will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy true. And he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without pavement. Or without payment, not pavement. <laughs> and the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. We have this rousing, victorious, wonderful presentation. And then he says this. As for, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, and as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And you go, well, that sounds inappropriate, <laughs> right? Yeah, something sounded, somebody, anybody know the name Rich Monteith? Does that name, sorry? okay, Rich Monteith. Rich Monteith was the manager at KMBI, Radio 107.9. Rich Monteith actually, I went to Bible college with Rich Monteith, and he was radio-oriented even then. This is back in the, the early 80s, or early to mid-80s. He and two other guys went into a closet and founded a radio station called K-God. <laughs> they got in trouble for that, but, <laughs> but it piped into the uh, lounge room we had where we played ping pong and things like that, because he wanted to do radio. And, and he later he went on and he became manager at KMBI. 
while he was manager at KMBI, which is Moody Bible Radio, right? Some of the big wigs from Chicago came to visit and check things out here, and they got the tour of the station and things like that. And then he took them on a tour of the area, and I only heard this third person. It could be a lie, but I don't believe it is, because I know Rick, Rich, uh, and uh, although I haven't seen him for years, but anyway. Um, but he was taking them and he was showing them Coeur d'Alene Lake, and they're driving by and having the view of Coeur d'Alene Lake, and one of the people in the car, one of the high mucky mucks from Chicago, leaned over and said, what station is this we're listening to? <laughs> Because Rich Monteith, manager of KMBI, was listening to another Christian station. <laughs> and you go, uh-oh, that doesn't sound quite right. You know how sometimes things don't sound right? They stick out. Uh, sometimes things just seem out of place. Rich's choice of radio station, by the way, he's not manager there anymore. <laughs> that wasn't the end of it. There was, I don't know what his story is there. But anyway, uh, uh, sometimes things just seem out of place. It's like you, you, you're going along and you feel like you understand what's going on and then there's something thrown in that just feels wrong right uh, a beautiful car in a wrecking yard it's like you drive you're, you're there and you're you're walking through you're going walking through the the pull and save or something and you're looking at all these wrecks and all of a sudden there's let's see for you it's mopar for you it's mustang it's a <laughs> you know there's there but there's the car and it's immaculate and you go, what is this car doing here? It doesn't belong. Or you go to a wedding and everybody looks awesome except for that one bridesmaid who's all muddy. And you go, what is going on with that? It doesn't fit. Something's out of place. This description feels out of place. But, but the thing is, as much as it seems wrong where it is, it is right where it is. God does not make mistakes. He put this here because he wanted it here. And just recognizing that it's out of place, so it must be there for a reason, causes us to seek the reason, which I think is really important to this. This is not, benefit, this is not written for the benefit of the people who will be there then experiencing this at that time. This isn't written so they can say, you know, go, go uh, neener neener or, or sucks to be you or something like that, right? Uh, he, it's a particular uh, warning for people, I believe this is a warning for people today who read this, who claim to have faith, but they don't, right? They are not conquerors. Their lives, they claim to have a faith, but their lives resemble those people on the outside. Here's the thing. God is not interested in our words, what we say. He is interested in our actions, what we do. And so he says, outside are going to be those who are uh, cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, uh, sorcerers, adulterers, liars. Their portion will be with those, uh, will be in the lake of fire that burns. Today we're going to look at the absolute certainty of blessing uh, uh, for God's people. But we're going to look at what makes them different from those who are not his people. They are conquerors over the world, and they are not conquered by it. So let's look first, verses 5 through 7, guaranteed blessings, right? Guaranteed blessings. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. And he, when he says, when he says uh, um, write this down, what does it mean when you say write it down? right? You say, hey, you know what? Tomorrow, I'm giving you a hundred bucks. Write it down. What's that mean? 
yeah, it means, it means I'm not going to waffle on this. I'm saying write it down. This is, by the way, I'm not giving you any money tomorrow, so, <laughs> just in case you were wondering. But, but, if, I, but if someone says that, when, by, by saying the words, write it down, they're saying, this is, this is for sure. This is a sure deal. This is a done deal. I will make it happen. When God says, uh, he was seated on the throne, says, behold, I am making all things new. And he says, write it down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He's saying, make no mistake about it. This is not just a, an if it's convenient kind of promise. This is not as an if I can make it happen kind of promise. He's saying, write it down. He says, it is guaranteed. He's saying, for the record, right? It's not where he's, he's, he's off talking to a reporter on the side and saying this, 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 and the reporter says, well, can I quote you on that? Oh, no. <laughs> you know, the, the pol there's a policy that I think every newspaper has is that if a letter comes in anonymously, it doesn't get printed. Right? Unless you're willing to go on the record with what you say, it doesn't go there. It's something you, it's not represented by anybody. He says, write it down. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I, my words are true. He says, I am, when he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, he says, I'm the guy that makes things happen. Right? I'm not the guy who, I'm not guessing at what's going to happen. I'm not predicting what's going to happen. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the maker. I am the creator. I am the boss. I mean, all those things. He says, what I want to do, I do. And if I say I will do it, it is done. Now, I could say uh, tomorrow I will do such and such. I don't know that tomorrow I'm going to wake up. Right? We don't have control, enough control to say that. There, there's a, a book I, I stumbled across the name of. I, I want to read it. It's called The Illusion of Control, or uh, something to that effect. The idea that, that we think we're in control of what happens and how silly it is and how rarely when we say what we think is going to happen, it actually turns out the way we happen. Uh, we think it's going to happen. It just doesn't happen. But God, it does. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. Write it down. It's going to happen. Okay, he says, I am blessing my people. It says, to the thirsty, I will give the water of life without charge, right? Uh, uh, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Now, if you are biblically oriented, you might have thought of Isaiah 55, 1 to 3. You may not know that's what you were thinking of. Maybe you did if you're really good. But Isaiah 55, 1 to 3 should sound pretty familiar. Come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, he who has no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast love toward David." right? Come, you who are thirsty, come, buy and eat. He will give you water without price. Excuse me, bread. He will give you what you need for free. You might think of the woman at the well in John chapter 4, right? The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, she, she came to the well. Jesus was there. He says, give me something to drink. She says, what? You're a Jewish man. You're asking me, a Samaritan woman, just for something to drink. He says, if you, were, if you knew who you were asking, who you were talking to, you'd ask me and I'd give you the water of life. And she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with. <laughs> he says, no, no, you understand the water I give will be water springing up within you and you will never thirst again, right? Jesus is making these offers. Both these, both these stories, uh, both these passages come to mind. You might think of these things, the water of life, abundant life, rich life, rewarding life, life that you never regret. I mean, the whole idea of life that you don't, that, that you don't thirst again. It's like, I don't understand thirsting again for life. How do I? Well, because we haven't lost it. 
but, but we know what it means to lose others. And we can, thirst is not a bad word sometimes to describe how we long for them, right? Life, abundant life. He's going to give us the water of life without charge. It's, he, he's giving it for free. Uh, it, it, is, it is life without payment. He is not selling it. And if he was, we couldn't afford it. Right? We don't deserve it, he's, but he is giving it to us. And he says, write it down. I am going to bless my people with life. Life like they do not know. Life that, like they have not experienced. Life that doesn't have to be maintained. Uh, uh, it, it, not life that doesn't have to be refreshed. It will simply always be there. And then he says, I will be his God and he will be my son. And not just your life in full, but in full relationship with God. Full satisfying life, satisfying relationship, satisfying and complete the fullness of everything that we could possibly want. These are the blessings he gives and he guarantees it. Write it down. Put my name on it. It's going to happen. It is a secure blessing to the ones who conquer. You go, boy, all that security just went out the door <laughs> to, to him who conquers. What is this whole conquering thing? The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And all of a sudden, all that free giving sounds very conditional. And you go, what is the point of it? And, and, and that almost answers the question, because it, it, it's not free if you earn it, right? This is free to yours. All you have to do is give me 100 bucks. <laughs> What's it worth? 99.99. <laughs> uh, it's not free if you earn it. You don't earn it by conquering. It, that, that's not what he's saying. We're, we're going to do something interesting, though. This actually answers a lot of questions raised earlier in the book of Revelation. This, this is the passage that doesn't raise the question. This is the passage that solves the question. And, and you'll see that in a minute. We're going to compare conquerors with those who are outside. But first we're going to compare conquerors with conquerors. Remember the seven churches? Seven churches to, 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 in chapters 2 and 3. And turn there, if you will. There are seven churches addressed in chapters 2 and 3. And there's a pattern going on with each of those churches. In each one of those churches, there is a description of Jesus Christ. He, he who walks among the seven lampstands. He who has feet of bronze and blazing eyes. Uh, there, there's different descriptions of Jesus that are appropriate to that church. There is, he gives them a statement, I know, and he tells them something I know about them. To, to, to five of the seven churches, he talks about what they're doing wrong. And then he comes to the statement, to him who conquers. And to each one of the seven churches, there is a statement about him who conquers. And when we recognize that and we go back here to Revelation 21, we recognize it's the same description of the same people. Him who conquers. Those who are in the church, there are those who conquer and those who don't. But it's not a capital C church, as in the saved people. It's churches. The church in Davenport. Let me explain something to you real clearly, just in case you don't get it. You need to get this. Going to this church does not give you a ticket to heaven, <laughs> right? Being a part of this church, being a part of any church in Davenport or every church in Davenport does not give you a ticket to heaven. It does not. It gives you opportunity. It hopefully gives you knowledge. It hopefully gives you awareness, right? Hopefully gives you direction, but it does not give you passage, right? You, you don't get that for being here in every church. We do our best to make sure it doesn't happen, but Jesus had 12, and one of them was Judas, 
right? Uh, every church probably, maybe we are the exception. I like to think that, but I, you know, might be a little bit uh, wrong. <laughs> so beware of yourself. Beware of what you settle for, uh, because going here does not do that. Uh, there's seven churches, and in each of those churches there are those who conquer and those who don't. In Ephesus, the very first of the churches, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, uh, there, the, he gets to the church uh, of Ephesus, and he says, You have lost your first love. I have the, I, you, your works are greater than they ever were before, but I have this against you. You have lost your first love. And in response to that, he says, do the things you did at first. That's great advice, by the way, to married people whose love starts to flicker. Do the things you did at first. At one point, you actually fell in love. <laughs> right? You, that, that love started. There were things you did then. There were things that you, you go, man, that was a lot of work. I don't want to do that again. <laughs> do it. it. It's good for your marriage. It's good for you. He says, do the things you did at first. He says, if you don't, I'll remove your lampstand. And then for chapter 2, verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, if you're not careful, you're going to read this and you're going to say, those who don't conquer are losing their salvation. That's not what he's saying. He's talking to a church with two kinds of people in it. And there are those in that church who are going to conquer and those in their churches who are not. Right? That, that's what he's saying. Uh, the church at Smyrna is a church under persecution. They're not told to correct any, any troubles. They're told to hang on to what they have. Chapter 2, verse 11 says this. Uh, I will, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Which, by the way, is a tremendous statement made to be made to a church that is facing persecution. Right? They are facing persecution. They can die for their faith. They don't know that, you know, to, we're pretty confident nobody's going to knock down the door. The authorities aren't going to come in and arrest us for being Christians in America, right? But there are places in the world where that exact thing can happen. They don't know they're not going to die for their faith tomorrow, right? He says, don't worry, the second death can't hurt you, but it's for him who conquers. You don't have to be afraid of that. Uh, the third church, Pergamum, is full of compromise, it's full of immorality, it's full of idolatry. And he says if they don't repent, Jesus will, himself will war against them with the sword of his mouth. Uh, that's what he says, says to them in verse 20, chapter 2, verse 17, to him who conquers. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And he offers promises and blessings to the one who conquers. We, we, and we, so we find in each of these churches two categories of people. Those who conquer, and though, by, by implication, those who do not. And the rewards are for those who conquer. And, and the difficulty is, if you read this and you don't... don't Chapter 21 is the one that clears it up. Because you hear this and you're going, I don't know what's going on here. It sounds like it's talking about losing your salvation. It sounds like losing your salvation because you slip up in a time of persecution and trouble and suffering. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, those of you who are serious about your faith, those of you who truly believe, faith is proven by faithfulness. And if you don't show faithfulness, why do you claim to have faith? It doesn't work. The church at Sardis, chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, let me flip the page. Uh, chapter, the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. I will never blot his name out from the book of life. Chapter 3, verse 12, the church at Philadelphia. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Uh, 
Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. Chapter 3, verse 21, uh, to the church of Laodicea, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne, as I also conquered and sat down on my throne with the Father. And we come to Revelation chapter 21, verse uh, seven, the one who conquers will have this heritage, but I, and I will be his God and he will be my son. And we find that it is the one who conquers that is inside. We find all these, these pictures and it's a, it's a scary picture. Uh, these letters are just not describing individuals, but they're describing churches. And in these churches, there are those who conquer sin, and there are those who are conquered by sin. And, and we come and we find the conquerors are those who showed faith, and the conquered are those who do not show faith. The ones who show faith conquer by listening to what God says and adhering to his word. The word it's not saying they are perfect. It's not saying they have accomplished everything. This is John, interestingly enough, and he is writing Revelation by the direction and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But it's John who says, yeah, if we hate our brother, we do not know, cannot love God. It's John who says, by this we know we are his, that we love our brother. And you go, well, you know, I love some of my brothers. <laughs> or I'm trying to love my brothers. Or have you seen my brothers? Right? <laughs> All those things come to play. He's, he's setting a pattern. He says, he who loves God does not sin. Right? He's not saying we never sin. He's talking about it's a pattern of life. And so he's not talking about absolute perfection here. He's talking about a pattern of faithfulness, a pattern of faith that is demonstrated. We, we look at this, we find the conquerors are those who showed faith, and the others are those who did not. We find that this reality of, of claiming faith means very little, but showing faith means a lot. Claiming faith means a little. Look, look at those doomed to the fire. We find, we find not just a list of sins, but we find also motivations behind sin. Or more, more than motivations behind sin, motivations behind faithlessness. Because your faith, if you have faith, it will be put to the test. And it is when you is put to the test that it's proven to be faithful or not. You say you have a faster car than your buddy, right? Your buddy says, uh-uh, I got a faster car than you. You say, uh-uh, I got a faster car than you. He says, uh -uh. How do you prove it? There's only one way to prove that. Well, I, I suppose there's two. I suppose you could clock yourselves, right? Anybody satisfied with that? You want to head off face to side. I was going to say face to face race, but you know what I mean. Side by side. Go. <laughs> yeah, but we're not playing chicken. Okay. It's only when faith is put to the test that faith is proven to be faithful. And until faith is put to the test, it does, the, the words of faith do not mean anything. The words of faith do not mean anything until they are accompanied by actions of faith. So let's start first with the sins. Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. Those are the easy ones. Of course those people are outside. They're sinners. You know, 1 Corinthians 6.11, our scripture reading, you know, he, he lists a whole lot of sins, many of those sins. He lists a bunch of other sins. And then he says this statement, but such were, or and such were some of you. If you think about that too much, it might make you feel a little creepy about the person you're sitting next to in church. <laughs> which, which one of those were you? <laughs> I ain't telling. <laughs> right? And, and we don't have to, because you know what? Saints are sinners who got saved. If, if there was one of you here who was born a saint, <laughs> you ain't. <laughs> it's, 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 it's just... We're not born saints. We're born sinners, right? Jesus Christ saves us and makes us saints. And some of us just 
happened to develop a lot more history of sin before sainthood. But the grossest sin doesn't pre prevent you from sainthood. Because Jesus Christ died to pay for all sins. And so, so they do not stop you. But he says, such were some of you. But in this, revela or this revelation passage, he says, those who are those things are outside. Those who are doing those things. And we find uh, there's a problem here. Because in the church today, or in churches today, however you want to say that, we find people who do all these things and say, but I believe in Jesus. But I love Jesus. But I'm a Christian. And, 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 and what do we do with people in church who don't be, seem to be able to stop sinning? And when I say that, I know we all sin, right? If anyone says he does not sin, he is a liar, right? 1 John 1, 10, 8, something like that. Yes, in, in 6 through 9, yeah. I think it's 1, 8. Uh, so, so that's not what, we're not saying perfection, but there are people who, who, who are defined by their sins who claim to be a Christian, who claim to follow Christ, who claim to have faith. But they're not defined by their faith, they're defined by their sins. Now, we all sin, but I think we look around each other and we say, man, I see a bunch of people who are defined by, by their faith a lot more than by their sin. But you go around in different places, you see a lot of people who are defined a lot more by their sin than by their faith. But you ask, oh yeah, I have faith. I believe in Jesus. What do you do with that? Back to the question of what do we do with this passage here? Why is it here? And, and, and it's not here to say in your face, right? You sinners. Ha ha, you didn't get in, you sinners. Is, that's not why it's there. This is here for a reason. This is here to talk to people who think they're going to heaven because they've claimed faith but do not have faith. This is like a final, when I say a final warning, this, is, this type of statement in these last two chapters appears five times in different degrees and with different amounts of, of development. But there's five statements about those who aren't making it. Five times in the last two chapters that are all about heaven. And, and why is that? These are the final warnings to those who are not getting there. And by the way, if it's the final warning to those who aren't getting there, it's because they didn't get all the previous warnings. Because there were a whole bunch of them in the, I don't know how many, my Bible, 1,872 pages before this one, right? A whole lot of warnings. They didn't get any one of them. It says, this is, this is it. This is your warning. This is your being called on here. Uh, these people are not making it to heaven. It's a final warning. And he says, but, but before he gets to the sins that I said were the easy ones, he has these two categories, cowardly, faith, faith, cowardly and faithless. And I don't even know what to do with the despicable. Oh, detestable. Sorry, not despicable. But as for the cowardly, the faithful, faithless, the detestable, cowardly and faith, faithless are not as so much sins as causes for sin, as reasons people would sin. Faith is shown by faithfulness, right? Uh, so so why, why do I not do what Jesus wants me to do? Well, I'm afraid of what people would think. My, I don't, know, I don't know about you, I was, I was, I've shared the story many times, I was just a hair shy of 19 when I got saved. And uh, it's, all, it's almost my birthday. Yeah, August 21st, 19... <laughs> I got saved, right? Uh, 
And, and the thing is, is I had a struggle. And some, people, some people get saved and they can't wait to go tell everybody. That wasn't me. I was embarrassed to let them know. I was embarrassed to tell my friends. I didn't want them to see. What was that? That was cowardice, right? I was afraid of what they would think. If I, part, partly, and there was a lot of pride in that because I used to like to argue with Christians and I thought I always won. Because <laughs> I, I thought they were dumb, I didn't know. <laughs> they were just being nice to me. I'm afraid of what it would do to my finances. Not if I became a Christian, but if I lived f- faithfully. I'm afraid of what it would do with my finances if I listened to what the Bible talks about finances. Boy, that's gonna, I'm going to have to get a new job. <laughs> I'm going to have to leave my enforcement job for the mafia or you know, whatever it is. I'm afraid of my family. Now, that's true in different degrees in different places, depending on where you are. Here in America, our families can dislike the choice we've made. They can choose not to respect it. I've shared it before, but it's been a while. So my mom, when she found out I was becoming a pastor, said, why don't you get a real job like at Godfather's? <laughs> Which I made pizzas before. I used to work at Godfather's. But <laughs> I didn't consider it my real job. It was getting me through college. But uh, that, was, that was her opinion of what I do, not just for a living, but for my life, Right? Uh, but in, there's places in the world where you can die, you know, where, where they will take you out and they call it an honor killing, right? Where they will take and throw acid in your face, where they will kick you out and leave you support, unsup- unsupported and without means to get by. Uh, I'm afraid of my family, right? It's a reason, Cow- coward- and that's hard to call cowardice, but the answer to it is courage, right? Courage is a Christian virtue. People often think of Christians as wimps, as cowards, as people who are just afraid of offending anybody, so I might as well be a Christian because they're nice, and I'm nice. I didn't hear anybody laugh at that, and thank you. So <laughs> and they think of Christians that way. To be a Christian, to be a real Christian, calls for courage. Because you have to do things and say things and take stands that are not popular if you're going to represent Jesus Christ in a fallen world. I, okay, faithlessness. I can't trust that God will meet my needs. Now, I've never heard anyone use those words. But I have had people say, I have to do this to get by. And I'm going, why do you think you have to do that to get by? Well, implied in that is because God won't take care of me. I can't, I know God wants me to do this, but I have to because it's the only way I can get by. And the answer is, is no. Do it and trust God. Just because you don't see how God is going to take care of you doesn't mean he's not going to take care of you. Just because you can't see how God is going to provide doesn't mean he's not going to provide. But people will say, I have to do this to pay my bills, or I have to do this to keep my job, or I can't do that, or I will love my job, or any number of ways of justifying faithlessness, not living by faith. But each one of those is exactly that. It's faithlessness. And if faithlessness keeps you from obeying God, then faithlessness is a motivation behind sin. We, 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 we sin because we don't have enough faith 
to obey. Well, if, if, if you don't have faith to obey God, how can you say you have faith? Faith is shown in faithfulness. If there is not faithfulness, there is not faith. Faith is not something you have once and put in the bank and save away till someday when you need it. Right? How many times have you met somebody who says, well, I made this decision for Christ at X point in my life. And, and maybe you haven't had these conversations I have a discouraging amount of times. And because of this event, or I was baptized as a baby, or, 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 or you know, uh, my mom said, or my grandma said about my dad, well, he was in so-and-so's Sunday school class, and no one got out of that class without accepting Christ. And I laughed, but that was her testimony to believe that her son was saved, who was my father, who I never saw evidence of it. He was an honest man. He was a good man. If that's evidence of salvation, I don't know. He, he, he certainly didn't try to lead us to Christ. <coughs> Faithfulness is evidence of faith. It's not something you did once, once upon a time. Faithfulness is a life lived in faith. And if your life is lived in faith, then you don't have faith. But if your life is not lived in faith, or if your life is lived contrary to faith, then what is it? So go back to those churches in, in uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3, and you have the churches where there's persecution going on. Right? And so what do they do? They can cave to the persecution, or they can overcome. And overcoming can mean dying. Right? But it shows no faith if you yield to the persecution. Church, the, the church of, of uh, Thyatira, I think, is the third one. I, I get them confused. Uh, it was a church full of compromise. It was in a land. Pergamum. Pergamum is the land that, that I know where you live in the place where Satan dwells, where Satan's throne is. It was a place of horrible idolatry. It was, it was a place with a temple to Zeus, and they had worship of all the pantheon there. Uh, and, and the pressure to... to give at that point would be incredibly strong. And it's like, well, I don't believe there's really, I don't believe they're really God, so I'm just going through the motions to please them. And at that point, where you're going through the motions so that everybody else, everybody else, it looks like you believe in them. Uh, if you're compromising to pretend you believe in them, what other God are you compromising with at that point? Because you're compromising with the one true God to, to pretend there. God, God says, I am a jealous God. I will not be... Uh, Shared is the word I want. That's a bad quote. Um, if your faith doesn't change your actions, then you're faith, faithless, and faith requires courage. And cowardly is the first thing on the list. And acting on faith requires courage. This is a call. Maybe it's a wake-up call to look at your own life. And it's hard to look at your own life. Sometimes you need to ask someone else. You need to turn to someone else and say, so, someone who will be brutally honest. Or maybe the right word is tenderly honest. Because the words might be, you know what, honey? I don't think you have been faithful. But the words might be shockingly encouraging. You don't know how excited I am to see what's changing in you. 
I remember Joan saying about me, she was surprised at how quickly I changed. I'm going, what? Because I felt like I hadn't changed at all. <laughs> she doesn't remember. It was a billion years ago. She's not that even that old, but I am. <laughs> and because I didn't see it at all. I didn't have eyes to see what God was doing in my life. Someone on this outside did. And, and sometimes it's very dangerous to use ourselves as our own testimony, our own witness, because we can justify ourselves where we shouldn't. Uh, sometimes we need someone else who is honest and cares about us to tell us the truth about ourselves. I, I would encourage you to do that. You know, I started this out talking about uh, things that look out of place. You know what would really look out of place? is people who fit that description in heaven. That would be far more out of place than this description of people uh, calling themselves believers, than this description fitting in this passage about heaven. That's what I wanted to say. The cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. What can I say about that? Such were some of you. Make sure it's a were, not are. Because the Bible does not give that option. The Bible does not give the option of such are some of you. It says such were some of you. Such we were. We look at each other. I think we look around this room and we just plain don't see it. Right? I think we look around this room and say, I don't see any of those things. Well, Praise God. That means such were some of we. We're not anymore. But if, as you look at yourself, you find you have not changed, then find the courage and the faithfulness to do so. Because these warnings are running out. Right? They're running out. Heaven is a gift given to him who overcomes. How do you overcome? By living out the faith you proclaim yourself to have. I don't know how to say it. Live out the faith you claim to have. And it has an awesome word for us. This is a man word. Conqueror. Him who conquers. She, by the way, who conquers too, right? Uh, that's where the rewards are. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for messages like this to remind us. Lord God, I ask that, that there be no one here who does not hear this message. Father, there are many here who, who live as conquerors. And I'm not praying for them right now. I'm praying for those who maybe are not, that they will recognize they are not, that you will give them the courage and the desire to want to, the faithfulness. Father, be their rock. Fill them with your spirit to give them the energy and the strength and the faithfulness to stand. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.